Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I'm going to wait. <laughs> and I am Steve. This, I, this has the potential to either be a really fun episode or a really lame episode. I'm going for lame. So basically, <laughs> we, next week will be our anniversary show. It'll be one year. One year, year 52 episodes. Yeah. yeah, well, if you look, it'll say 53. Because of the TSP episode. Because we had the TSP, we released that as a special episode. So yeah. we decided that what we would... Okay, I'm sitting here looking across the, the table at Kim, <laughs> and Ramona the Snake is crawling around the microphone. <laughs> she wants and, to be part of the show. Yeah. Now, Rupert the dog gets along with the cats. I am not comfortable I, enough letting the, Rupert hang out with I, I don't know what he would do with the cats. Mo's still snake. a baby. She's not, she's very small. So uh, Ramona is named for the song Snake Farm uh, by Ray Wiley Hubbard. There's a sort of a character in the song named Ramona. Um, so I have a snake. She is a Kenyan sand boa. Um, we got her at Christmas time. I really don't remember exactly when. I think when. it was a little bit before Christmas. Yeah. Um, but we got her uh, less than a year ago. And we got her as a baby. And okay, hang on. You were eating chips, and there's a chip on your shirt, and that's really distracting. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll eat that crumb. Okay, so anyway, um, we got Ramona, and she's just, she's still a baby. Like, she's still very small. She Kenyan sand boas don't get very big anyway. Um, but she's she's a little baby girl. So this snake, though, one time crawled out of its cage or her, out of its her aquarium, her and we don't know how she Tank. did it. Tank. <laughs> and I we, figured it out though. I think she climbed up the wires. Yeah, up the wire. But I don't see how she fit out of that little tiny hole. But anyway, we we looked for her and we found her in the closet. Now, okay, but to give them an idea, how far is that? 18, 19, 20 feet. I mean, it was a pretty far for a yeah. little baby snake. Yeah. She's what? I don't know. She's maybe 18 inches, Yeah, no, 24 s- inches. Snakes don't bother me, so it wouldn't have been the same if it was a mouse that got She's loose. She's very sweet. Like She actually likes being handled. A lot of snakes are kind of meh about being handled, but she's okay with it. Um, she does eat frozen thawed pinky mice and she's kind of in the middle of a growth spurt but the next stage up is too big so i just got to feed her multiple times a week it's actually time it's feeding day today i should probably feed her but yeah anyway anyway (laughs) anyway, enough about the snake (laughs) ramona so the idea today was that um we kind of realized that we never i mean we kind of gave a little bit about ourselves at the beginning but we never really got into us and so we thought it might be fun to do an episode. Is this a get to know Kim yeah. and Steve episode? It's like a just a it, we're it, we're interviewing ourselves. Um, so like I said, it's either going to be kind of fun or really lame. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. Do okay. You start. Yeah. Do so you, okay, so you go first. Okay. Well, just so Kim, just a little bit where you grew up. Um. Okay. So I grew. Just up. go with me here. <laughs> I grew up in Kettering, Ohio is where I was born um, and grew up, uh, spent pretty much my entire life in the Dayton area. There was a, about a year, my first grade year, 
Um, my stepdad was in the Navy and we got stationed in California. So I lived in um, like the San Diego area, Southern California for a year when I was in first grade. I have very few memories of it. Um, all of my memories mostly are from Dayton. Um, it is it is my home. It will always be my home. And I, you know, if you've listened to the podcast for more than 30 seconds, that Dayton is um, it's where my heart is. Yeah. And so, you had that. We talked about this a little bit with Terry when he came on with Izzy Rock, how your childhood was kind of idyllic and you lived, um, you had this like beaver cleaver childhood. Yeah, maybe you could say that. But I grew up, um, so my story is with this, my mom and dad, after my dad got out of the Navy back in the 50s, he um, moved to Columbus with my mom and my brother and used his GI Bill and worked, and then he went back to college. And then we lived, I was, he was working in Columbus, Ohio at the time. Mm -hmm. And then they went back to school to, to work on their degrees and lived in Moorhead, Kentucky for a couple years, several years growing up and stuff like that. I mean, just a baby. And then we moved Back to Columbus, and that is probably my earliest childhood memories. I can remember back. I when always I was shenanigans on this. Your earliest memory. I'm like, there is no way that you can remember that far back. But probably, tell them about like, your earliest memory. 18 months probably is my earliest memory because that is I remember crazy we to lived me. on a street in Columbus. It was called Halsey Avenue, and I remember getting out of the door somehow. And walking down the, the steps of the house to the sidewalk, I turned right, went up to the end of the block, which our house was almost at the end of the block, and turned right, and there was a Dalmatian dog. And I remember that dog came up, which was about my height, <laughs> licked me in the face, and I turned around and I ran back home. And that is my earliest memory. But I have a lot of memories of that house of I remember getting into as a baby, getting into uh, Crisco. And making a mess in the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. I remember those memories, too. When I was a kid, I used to get in trouble. So, apparently, when I was, like, that age, like, two, I used to eat bees. And I don't ever remember eating bees. But apparently, that was something my grandma always told me, that I used to just walk up and pick a a bee off of a flower and eat it. And I apparently, I never got stung. I don't know. Um, I also used to eat sticks of butter. (laughs) So, not Crisco, but butter. But I remember about that same age period, I remember there was a storm. And I remember back in the day, they used to have these yellow raincoats that all the kids would get dressed up in. And I remember there was a like a hailstorm. And we went, my mom, we put on these jackets and we went out <laughs> there. Boots. Yeah. And we went out in the backyard where there was some hail. And I remember there was like an old tire back there. And I'd find earthworms in that. But those are my. <laughs> Earliest memory. So we grew up wow. grew up there, and then we moved to um, a, a, another house called um, Lock. It was on Lockburn Road in Columbus, Ohio. Well, no, it was on Parsons Avenue, I guess, in Columbus, Ohio, close to Lockburn. And then uh, we moved to Grove City, Ohio, and that's where I went to I went to J.C. Summer Elementary School. Now, then I went to. Park Street Middle School, and then I went to Grove City High School, then I went to Moorhead State University. Now, your parents were both principals. They eventually ended up being elementary school principals. What was that like? 
growing up with two parents, not even just one, but two parents that were school administrators? Um, I remember what the teachers would call. Like if they would get sick, they would call. And then my dad or my mom would have to like, you know, they'd take the call and, you know, hey, I can't come to work tomorrow. I'm sick. And then they would have to call what they called central office and get a substitute teacher. Well, one time, I guess they went out to dinner and I got the call and I forgot to tell them. Oh, no. Yeah. And um, I did get in a little bit of trouble because <laughs> the kids, I guess, were loose in the classroom. But I never <laughs> forgot about that. But it was... My mom and dad were pretty much, my dad was like, let them, let them play, let them do what they want to do. They'll be fine. You know, they made. Were you in either of their districts? Yeah, we were in the same district. Or in their school? I was never in their school. So like you didn't, your, your teachers didn't call home and narc to you, to your parents. Um, I, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Were you, were you good in school or were you one of the, like the troublemaker kids? Oh, I I was a good kid. I do remember one time in high school, a uh, teacher, I guess it's safe to say his name now, Mr. Mattingly caught me and a friend who who will remain nameless that remember the dissecting pans that had like the rubber in them. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was black rubber and stuff like that. And you had the needles. Mm -hmm. Well, me and my friend were Eric. Oops. Sorry, Eric. We're throwing these things <laughs> against the wall and sticking them in the door back in the behind the biology room. And Mr. Manley came and caught us. And he uh, he basically he he threatened me with I will tell your parents, I can I can call your parents, or you can work for me here for a week and straighten this place up. So I opted to take <laughs> the, the work study and uh, didn't get in trouble. Which is interesting because what I, I mean, I obviously didn't know your parents growing up, but your parents have always been such sweet, kind people. So the idea of either of them as a discipline, I could maybe see it with your dad, but the idea of either of your parents (laughs) as a disciplinarian is just laughable to me because your parents are such kind, sweet people and I love them so much. So it's, it's hard for me to picture that. Well, they had two different types of schools where... My dad's school was basically, um, I don't, I, it, it was in a, a, the, the, a part of town where the, there wasn't as much money. Mm. And a lot of the people from his, in his school had migrated from Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, where my mom and dad grew up. And he knew a lot of the parents in, in the school and mm. he knew a lot of the kids and like, you know, because he grew up with a lot of them and stuff sure. like that. So he knew a lot of them. And so he was in that kind of district. So he had a different... Like a rural district or no. just kind of a rural mindset from the, the no, folks that not even No, not even Kentucky. rural mindset. It was, I mean, it was very working class yeah. type neighborhood where my mom's school was in a little, I don't want to say affluent, but it was, they were economically a little bit better off than mm. where my dad's. Gotcha. My dad's kids were, but he was the type of guy that he knew all the kids in his school. And I remember, as like at Thanksgiving, he would uh, he would he would get me. We would get in the car, and he would have a bunch of turkeys. Mm-hmm. And he knew which families needed the turkeys, and he would go and he would deliver these turkeys, mm-hmm. like at Thanksgiving or ham or something like that at uh, at uh, Christmas. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like that's the kind of people that your parents are. They're just very very kind hearted. 
um, very good people. Um, Steve's dad, (laughs) he, uh, he's passed now, but when he was living, we lived down the street from them, which is kind of neat because now we are in the same position with our grandkids living 10 doors down from us. Um, but I remember, you know, the kids would go down when they were teenagers even, or like Matthias was little, um, and they would they would go down to see Grandmommy and Granddaddy, and Granddaddy would slip them a 10 or a 20 every time that they would come to visit um, and just kind of sneak it without Grandmommy seeing, or he thought that she didn't see. She saw. She didn't she knew, care. She but... knew everything that was going on. <laughs> she, I love her so much, but she would sit there, and she watches from her front window, and she knows everything that goes on in the neighborhood, and we still give her a hard time about that. Yeah. Um, and I got to be careful what I say, because I know she listens, she to, listens the to the show. Yeah. But um, I love I love your parents so, so much. I really honestly couldn't ask for better in-laws. Yeah, I, I kind of got attached to them over the years. Too. Yeah, you you did good. You won like the genetic parent lottery. Well, they were the kind of parents that they both got their thirty years in, thirty two years in. Te- my dad stayed a couple of extra years till my mom got her thirty years in teaching in the state of Ohio. They were young. They were like in their early, yeah. very early fifties, and they wanted to. Their one of their dreams was to work and live overseas for a little bit. My brother was in the Army, too, and he was stationed in Panama. So they applied to teach school for uh, DODS, which is Department of Defense Dependent School System, which basically DODS is if, um, you know, it's if you're overseas, it's where military kids go to school so they can right. go to an American school and stuff like that. So they applied, and with as much experience as they had, they were they were snapped up fairly quickly within that system. So they lived in Panama for several years, Back um, just before the invasion, in fact, one of the last things that my mom did with her school was she turned that school over to an MP company prior to the invasion down in Panama. And then I was stationed in Germany. They came over just to visit, and they said, <laughs> and they you know stayed. what, <laughs> we, we stayed with your brother. Why don't we try it here in Germany? <laughs> so they found we found an apartment about three or four doors down from us in this little tiny village called Hammerless, Germany, mm-hmm. which we still have some great friends from there. And we haven't been to Germany in a long time. We need yeah. to go. And um, take, our, take our gear and interview them. Yeah, and so um, they lived over there, and my dad uh, ended up, they, they offered him a couple different jobs, and he's ended up teaching PE and physical education, and that's what he did. So my my daughter Sarah, her, my dad's last day of teaching class. Sarah started kindergarten then, mm-hmm. and my dad's after probably thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven years of teaching, the last class that he ever taught, he had Sarah in his last class. And I thought that was really kind of neat. That is really neat, yeah. and and she, you know, you and she both um, tell that. Uh, she used to get to pick what they would do in PE every day. Yeah, but my dad would get letters from the uh, from the parents there in Grafenvir. Is like, you know, my kid never liked PE. He never liked physical education, or she never liked physical physical education until you started teaching this. And I, you know, with that much experience, my dad knew how to handle and how to work with kids sure. and how to get the most out of them. And he got all sorts of letters of accommodation. They wanted him to uh, 
stick around for a couple of years. He's like, no, I'm I'm done. Now, okay. Well, my mom, let me finish this one, though. My mom went down to Panama, and she taught. And then after, I think it was after the first year, the second year, they asked her to be the principal of that school. And she didn't really want to do it, but she decided, and she ended up two or three years, I think she was the principal at the uh, one of the elementary schools over on the Atlantic side in uh, Panama. But your dad wasn't just a principal. Talk about, tell him about what happened on your dad's last day before he retired. Well, yeah. They, Up in Grove City. Yeah, they named the school, they, they had an assembly for him, and when they went in, the outside of the school said South Franklin Elementary School, and when they came back out, it said James A. Harmon Elementary School. They renamed the school after him, and eventually, about four years ago, I guess? Something like that. They ended up, they they tore that school down, but they built a brand new school, and they invited... Beautiful school. And they invited my mom up to the school to be a part of the ceremony, and they mm-hmm. renamed... Or renamed, they named that school after my dad too. Dad James Harmon yeah. Elementary up in Grove City, Columbus. So yeah, that's they, named after Steve's dad. It's beautiful. They have a, a fireplace. It's an electric one, but they have a fireplace in the library at the elementary school. It's really neat. It's a huge school, beautiful, beautiful school. Um, we still have, you know, we they they tore it down and on Facebook they let everybody know, you know, if you have any connection to Harmon Elementary, the old school one. Um, you can come and get bricks. And so we we got bricks and we took some down to your brother and your mom. And we have some still um, at the house, you know, the old house that we're trying to sell. And um, eventually we'll incorporate them into something, I'm sure. But Okay. So, Kim, you grew up <laughs> I'm not in, uh, in Kettering, Ohio. I and, did. Okay. So elementary school and you went to middle school. Mm-hmm. Favorite topics? You're kind of a nerd. Um, I loved, I've always loved English and reading and language. Um, I, so when I was in middle school, I did something called power of the pen. Um, I think it's still around, but basically it's, uh, I, we never really had the money for sports or anything. I always dreamed I wanted to do dance so bad. I love dancing and I really wanted to do ballet, but we just, um, you know, growing up, my family was not well off. And so we just never had the money for it. So, um, and I never had siblings until my brother was born when I was 13. So growing <laughs> up, yeah. So there's a big age gap between me and my brother. So I was an only child for 13 years. Um, and it shows. The <laughs> spoiledness shows. It does. Um, my cousins and I were not really close. My mom has a brother and a sister. Um, her sister has never been married, doesn't have a family. Um, her brother was married once uh, and has three kids, but my cousins and I, we would see each other pretty much on holidays, and that was it. So it was me, um, and I had to find my own methods of entertaining myself, so I, I got books. Um, and I love to read, and I love to write, and so I in middle school, I did Power the Pen, which was a creative writing competition. Um, made it all the way to the second round of state championships one year and lost in the second round. So just as we were watching. The as highlight we, of my life. Yeah. I peaked in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I like all your cousins. Yeah. We, oh, my we, cousins are awesome. Yeah. I love them. We're actually almost closer now as adults than we were um, growing up. I do. 
Um, I, I do regret that. So I have two girl cousins and a boy cousin. I mean, they're not girls, they're women and a man. Um, they're, we're all grown up now, which is kind of weird, but, um, my cousin Jillian, uh, is happily newlywed, um, and lives in Indiana, a few miles away. And we get to see her, you know, every once in a while, probably about once a year. Um, my cousin Emma just recently moved with her little girl, Reagan, who is the cutest little girl ever. She looks just like her mom and she just has, um, just the sweetest disposition. I love that kid so much. They just moved back home from Tennessee. Uh, and my cousin Daniel, I do kind of regret that we are not closer. He has this sort of free adventurous spirit. So he just kind of picked up and moved to Oregon and that's where he's at now. And so that's it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not nearly as interesting as you are. No. So you went to, um, state local for college. I did. I went to, <laughs> spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money at Wright State. Um, when I was in high school, I discovered theater and I loved it. And, uh, and so decided that I wanted to pursue theater in college. Um, I really like, I love art, but I'm not good at it. Um, and I really, really, really wanted to do theatrical makeup. Um, but again, I just wasn't good at it. And so I spent three of, you know, I got through a four-year program, three years of a four-year program at Wright State. And then, um, you know, we met and well, we could kind of took a little bit of time there and, and kind of went a different direction and decided to go into education. And now I'm not even doing that anymore. So... Now, we could take a little plug for Wright State University, their theater program. They have... When I started, um, it was number four in the country. I don't know what it is now, but when I started many moons ago, it was number four in the country, and their film program is what is really well known. Very, very selective to get into it. They took only like 20, 30 students a year into it. Yes, and I felt really guilty because one of the classes that I had to take... Um, was a class called Motion Picture Appreciation, and I loved it because I love movies. Um, but in order to progress, in, they only gave out a certain number of A's, and in order to progress in the film program, which I was not in, you had to get an A in the Motion Picture Appreciation class, and I took one of the A's. And so there was some, there's some poor film student out there somewhere who didn't make it in the program that year because I took their A. And I also felt guilty about that. But. Well, you should feel guilty about that. I don't. They should have studied harder. Um, but, yeah, Tom Hanks, we have the Tom Hanks School of Film. Um, he recently, fairly recently, within the last year or two, um, dedicated the theater, a building. And the theater building is painted unlike any other building on the campus. Not the theater building, the film building. It's very, they, they do meant. a very good job. They make a, it's a distinction. It matters. They make a distinction. So yes, um, and he picked that. Tom Hanks personally picked a, the color of our of the film school, bright building. blue, bright blue. So everybody would know it was the Hanks Building. Um, but the reason behind it is that the guys who wrote the miniseries Band of Brothers for HBO years ago are Wright State film graduates. Um, and of course, Tom Hanks was an executive producer and was in the film. And I think he was in the film. Maybe not. I know he was an executive producer. I'm thinking of Saving Private Ryan. But he was an executive producer for Band of Brothers, and he was just really impressed with the caliber of of student that was coming out of the Wright State Film School. Uh, And so he gave his name. So I graduated from Moorhead State University. Tell him what you studied. Mining and reclamation. And so What does that mean? 
You studied it, how to be a coal miner? Yeah, it was primarily focused on mining coal and yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's a lot to it. There's, you know, not just, you know, how to do it, but there's a lot of regulations, rules, electricity, ventilation. There was a lot of stuff, power and fluid mechanics. I mean, it was an engineering program. That sounds super hard. Yeah, I passed. <laughs> but anyway, it was uh, good enough. I passed good enough to get me into the Army. C's get degrees. I did better than C. But uh, anyway... Uh, Started off my Army career at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, the United States Army Engineer School. Went to what they call the Engineer Officer Basic Course. And from there went to Ludwigsburg, Germany, where I started off. My first unit I was in was a bridge company, 38th Engineer Company, medium girder bridge. Did that for a little while. Then I went over to a really, really unique unit and I am still in touch with these guys. We, we are very, very love them. Yes, we do. We stay in touch with these guys. We have helped coordinate reunions, and there were only. I mean, there's a lot of history with this unit. They started off kind of what they would call out of sector, but they all ended up forming into only three different companies in the world. So there's very limited amount of people who are in it, and they all kind of know each other the you know they served with you know the same group of people or they know who they served with and stuff like that so it's and with the special mission that they had it was it's it's a really unique bunch of guys and uh they're still very important to me we stay in touch through facebook through the reunions we get together and lots when they get together there's lots of fun yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. That was Rupert, Rupert shaking his <laughs> collar. Yeah, so two reunions ago, we did actually did it here in the Dayton area. We started off out by the pool, and it, it got too loud, too rowdy. People complained, so the, the management of the Holiday Inn came out, told us, guys, you got you got to tone it down, and we did for 10 minutes, and then they had to come <laughs> back in, and they told us again. By that time, it was getting late. And uh, they ended up, they took us into their boardroom and said, you know, hey, it's quiet in here. You guys can stay up, do whatever you want to. You're not going to bother any guests. We stayed up till probably, it was daylight. It was 6, 7 in the morning before we, <laughs> but it was just so many good stories. So did that. Then it came back to um, the engineer officer advanced course, again, at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. From there, I went to Fort Riley, Kansas where I was in the 1st Engineer Battalion and stayed there for a while and then went to ended up going to 1st Squadron, 4th Cavalry, ended up going to Desert Storm with those guys. And then we, um, came, we came back and I went to Fort Belvoir, Virginia for the third time. And I worked at the Defense Mapping Agency with the Defense Mapping School at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. From there, headed out to... Fort Irwin, California, where I was part of the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, the opposing force. So basically what that means is units from all over the United States, combat units would come out to train. And at Fort Irwin, the Op 4, the opposing force, we were the bad guys. We trained on Soviet tactics so that when they would come out, it was we would give them a realistic battle using the Soviet tactics and things like that. And we had visually modified tanks to look like soviet equipment and that's where a lot of the rumors 
We about about like the secret NATO bases. Yeah, yeah, that's where a lot of this stuff comes. Yeah, it was just last episode. Yeah. Man, time flies. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was yeah. yesterday. Yeah, so um, from there, went back to Germany to one of the best assignments. Every assignment I had in the Army was great. I, I loved it. I had a good time and really good memories about all of it, but... Some were special. The time at Fort Irwin was really special. Great leaders out there, great people to work with, just very professional, did their job. And then I went to, I was stationed to Grafenwehr, Germany, which if you go out there to train, Graf is, there are not a lot of fond memories for people who have just gone out there to train. It's cold sometimes, it's wet, it's muddy. The living conditions out in the field are, are, are kind of tough. But um, if you're what we call permanent party, if you're stationed there, it was absolutely wonderful. I, my first job there, I was the uh, the director of public works for the Grafenwehr military community and I worked with some really great people. Most of the people there were, uh, were German nationals, but they all had their um, their thing. They... they most of the the direct DPWs there in Germany were contracted, but I had like I think 464 people that worked for me there. Wow, that's a lot. And they were all um, local, and they wanted to keep their jobs. So when they went out, you know, a lot of times on Army Post, the DPW, you know, they, they don't get a good reputation because the, they just they just don't get a good reputation. But we won like. So many different awards. When we go to the town halls, you know, I talk to my my cohorts, and they say, "Oh, I hate going to the town halls because we just get beat up. They complain, they complain, they do this, they do that." When we would when we would have a town hall in Grafenwehr, it was I people would stand up. I want to thank the DPW for doing this because the the people the the German nationals that worked there they wanted to they wanted to do a good job. They just had that work ethic, and I could tell some stories about a guy named uh, Herr Strempel, who, did I tell this story earlier? I don't know. It's yeah. hard. I mean, I've, I've heard the story. I yeah. don't know if you told it on the air or not. Yeah, but Herr Strempel, his story was, as a young, as a young kid, he was growing up in Nuremberg, Germany. It was during the beginning of the war, and uh, he said he remembers very well the night that the SS came and kicked down his door, and they took his father away. He said, I never saw my father again. And then when Nuremberg started getting bombed, his mom moved him out in the country, him and his brothers and sisters, and he ended up um, getting a job on the on Grafenwehr and working for the Americans out there and worked there for many, 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 many years. But just so many people like that with so many great stories of with history, it's it's kind of unique in that generation. Unfortunately, you know they're they're gone or going, and it's um, I I hate to see all that knowledge and all that information gone. Yeah, hopefully enough of it is written, um, you know, written historically, and we have artifacts and museums and so on and so forth that the future generations can learn from it. Yeah, I hope so, and. Um, Actually, out at Fort Irwin, I got to do 
a, a job that was really meaningful to me. I was sitting there in my office one day, and the <laughs> regimental commander at that time was Colonel Terry Tucker, called me over and said, Steve, um, I want you to locate the museum holdings of the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment. I just said, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, I started walking and turning, you know, to go out the door, and he said, hang on, and he gave me a card of a curator with the Army Museum system, and I contacted him. And um, it took about two or three days, and I found out where they were. And then uh, about a week later, he gave me another call. Like, why am I going over to the you know, <laughs> over to the colonel's office? Am I in trouble? And uh, he said, Steve, I want you to build me a museum. And I said, okay, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and we ended up um, building the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment and Fort Irwin Museum out at Fort Irwin. So we had to get um, get all the holdings out there and create holdings for what they called ops group for the for the uh, Fort Irwin folks. And it was a really, really big honor because General Don Starry of legendary cavalry fame, if uh, you read some books, I mean, he's he, he's in a lot of books. He's in a lot of history. He came out there. He was the honorary colonel of the regiment. And uh, he actually, when we dedicated the museum, Colonel Story pinned a medal on me for doing this. And that was oh, like, yeah, that was a really big, for me personally, that was a yeah. big honor to have that done. And, um, oh, yeah, it just lots, I mean. We, I don't know anybody else that's ever built a museum. Well, I guess not. Like from scratch. <laughs> from it, it, well, yeah, I didn't. We I mean, we we know other other kind of museum curators and museum. Yeah. I don't know what does Troy do. What is his title? Troy's. Yeah. I think he's the director. Director. So yeah. we know other museum directors and curators and so on and so forth. But I've never met anybody that's actually built a museum from the ground up. We we took an old dining facility mess hall and we converted that and we we. Literally, I mean, the building was built, but we put up all the story. Now we had different um, different curators, different people from like we had one guy from Fort um, Fort Leavenworth who was like an expert on building display boxes. Mm. We had a guy named Doctor Charlie Curtin who came from Virginia, and Charlie's specialty was he wrote the storyline. He wrote like the history and and designed how the museum would flow. Mm-hmm. And then we had another guy came out and he helped us with, um, like the man, he was, his expertise was actually building the displays. And so he was the one that set it up. So Charlie, you know, came up with the storyline and then I, I wish I could remember his name. I'll think of it before, the, before this episode's over. But he was the guy that went through and actually like, got the mannequins. He had the historical perspective of like this mannequin during this time period should be dressed like this and like that. And so he, he, he finished all that stuff up and then we, we got it all together and uh, got some pretty unique things. I keep saying unique tonight, but it, <laughs> it, it really is what it was is one of a kind type items. Yeah. And, um, and it's still a functioning museum. Today. It's still a functioning museum out there today as part of the United States Army Museum System. So that's that. That's I, kind of a cool yeah, thing. Because we went out there and visited, and they took us back mm-hmm. there. The the 
curator who yeah, actually that was 20 I, years ago yeah, almost but. yeah but i hired the guy who was the curator then i hired him because i was leaving so we had to kind of turn it over to the actual sure. people who'd be doing it and uh he took us back and he he put like sarah matthias oh, and yeah, like i can remember that he had costume. like dress up stuff for yeah. the kids and stuff. Yeah, it was pretty it was, neat yeah and then you served during desert storm what was that like it was different. Every every war is different. You know what what we did there was hadn't been done before like that. You know now the guys who are going to Iraq and Afghanistan, Kuwait, they're going over into different types of facilities, and they got their own mission that they do. So everyone from, has, has their own thing. From back here, um, my memories of that war are it was really hyped as the. First broadcast television war in which you could see what kind of was going on in real time. Um, and you could, you, you know, you had, you've always had embedded reporters, but um, embedded reporters with cameras who could show stuff in real time um, and kind of we could watch back here what you guys were doing over there. And I just, it was so nothing like we had ever seen before. Yeah. Well, I didn't see a lot of reporters. I mean, sometimes we'd see reporters, but for the most part, we didn't have any reporters with us with where we were and what we were doing. So we didn't, I, I didn't see any reporters. But you, didn't you at one time tell me that you went further behind enemy lines than anybody else? Like your tank that you were riding in went further behind enemy lines than our, anybody else. Our squadron did. Our, our, our squadron did. It wasn't just me. It was, well, I mean, you and the yeah. guys in the tank with you. Yeah, we went basically. You were the first tank in. Or were you just trying to impress no, me? No, I wasn't in a tank, but oh. I was in an armored so you were vehicle. Just, okay, an armored vehicle. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I feel like yeah. this was one of those things that when we were dating, you were just trying to impress me. No, 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 no. no. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, enough about that. <laughs> so after college, Kim, what did you do? Uh, which, which time? <laughs> I did a time. lot, I did a lot of stuff after college. Um, so I, I took a semester off after I decided that I didn't want to be in theater, um, and went and, uh, decided to pursue education. And it was really a challenge, um, because, you know, I, I love language and I love, um, you all know my passion for media literacy. And so I really was, struggling um I've always been really good with little kids like preschool kindergarten age kids um and so it was a real struggle to decide whether I wanted to I knew I wanted to go into education but did I want to teach high school and have those really cool like philosophical good deep discussions with the high school students about literature and 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 reading um and really inspire that love in other other people or did I want to work with um preschoolers which was kind of (laughs) to say it kind of more my speed um and i you know i really it it took a lot of uh, you know soul searching um and i decided to go for the high school route and i made a mistake um I, well i don't want to say that because there were some there have been lifelong friendships actually that came out of that um one of my former students his now wife is one of my best friends and i i love her dearly um but it definitely uh, I ended up, you know, working with little kids, little little bitty guys and girls, and uh, and and I, it's really not anything nearly as interesting as what you've done with your life. <laughs> I'm the boring one in the, in this 
in this episode. So there's, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot of interesting stuff to talk about about myself. <laughs> well, you keep things interesting because without you, we wouldn't be doing the podcast right now. Well, I wouldn't, I don't know about that, but I don't. You know. started the podcast, mile thirteen. No, with, no, with no. Jackie, Jackie started. Jackie the podcast. started the podcast. So, so our friend yeah. Jackie. Um, so Jackie actually, is the you know who I just referenced. Um, her husband Brandon, who has featured on Mile Thirteen, um, was one of my students, and I met Jackie through Brandon. Uh, and one day she said, you know, I really, I've I've been reading about podcasts and I listen to them all the time at work, and I don't think it would be that hard to start one. Um, and so uh, Jackie and I started Mile 13 along with our friend Casper, um, her friend Casper, who's now also my friend Casper. Uh, and we invited Steve on one day to do a show because we were talking about coal mining. Um, and so Steve just kind of seemed a natural fit for sort of the, the background. Had a, had a degree in it. Yep. So um, he kind of provided the background and he loved coming on the show. And he said, you know, we can do our own show. And here we are. Yeah. So, one year later. One year later, here we are. Well, we're we're one week short. Yeah, yeah but that's how we came to be, um, which is why we, you know, it's the thirteenth hour studios. Um, out of you know, we were born from mile thirteen. Um, in in an hour of your life, and mile thirteen is still around. Uh, we have taken a coronavirus hiatus, um, and now Casper and Jackie, I think, are recording a few episodes on their own. Um, and I told them, you know, I would, they've, they've graciously invited me to come on whenever I can. They're going to kind of keep me in the loop. Uh, and after I'm done with, um, this round of education and schooling, then, you know, I'll, I'll join the show again. But. but what's amazing is right now it's for whatever reason, it is harder and harder to get a show out on time. We're staying more busy right now. Well, I we have. I under I know what that's from. Um, I think a big part of that is because June first, I started working outside of the home for the first time in five years. Um, you know, I was working from home doing in home daycare for five years, and so really, um, you know, I was here. I had time to to do research, and and uh, and we could really kind of set our schedule a little bit better and and do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. And now I, um, I think I mentioned last episode that I am a now a manager at a massage studio, um, and so you know I'm working forty hours a week outside of home, uh, and it's a very set schedule. Um, so you know that and going to school. So on my two days a week off, then I'm working on schoolwork a lot of the time. So that's I that's where it's coming from. Yeah. So. And I think we mentioned this before. We just did a series on the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that had a lot to do with it, too, because that took a lot more research to do those shows well, and, again, and to get that out than I ever anticipated that would do. And you did all of the research for that. Literally, the only thing that I did was the Ben Franklin show. You did all of the research for the other four shows, and uh, and, and you did a phenomenal job. And, and so, um, I think that was it too. Like you did not even just the bulk of the research, but literally every bit of research was you. Whereas normally we kind of divide it up. Um, and so, you know, you'll research a, a chunk of what we're going to talk about and I'll research a chunk of what we're going to talk about. And then we kind of combine it in a Google doc and, and share back and forth. Um, but it was all you. Yeah. I mean, to, to do the podcast, 
if you're a techie out there and you're interested, we, we, we use as much technology as we possibly can. We use mm-hmm. Google Docs. Um, I personally prefer my iPad and the cloud, but so we kind of move documents back and forth. And, you know, if Kim starts, she'll start in Google Docs. And I'll copy and paste it. I could do it, but I, I just <laughs> like working in Word better than I do Google Docs for whatever reason. I think it's more, it's familiar to yeah. you. And so that's easy for me. And then, so we do put notes. We try not to read, but we put notes, like little liners and stuff up there mm-hmm. to follow. And so I can put that on my iPad and scroll along with that to keep us on track and on time. Because we really do, we try to keep the show to an hour. We've been long the last few episodes. Yeah. It's been over an hour. It's We're close. 62 to 65 minutes. Yeah. And then we record the show on um, GarageBand. We don't need anything fancier than that. GarageBand does everything that we needed to do. And I can save everything on the cloud because I'm using a Mac to do that. And then we have a Rode Procast, Rode Procaster board to get the sound and to do the mixing and to play all those cute little... <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those things. All those things that I like to push the buttons. It really is kind of a... Yeah, you do. Um, it's really kind of a small setup. Yeah, it doesn't but take it, much. But it, it doesn't take much to do a podcast. And a lot no, of people really do a not. podcast just like... Something well, you could do it off your iPhone oh, yeah. or off your Android our, device if you wanted to. So Jay, our nephew, who's been on the show a couple of times, recorded an entire album off of his, um, you know, Strange Creatures, was done completely off of his iPhone, which is just amazing and mind-blowing to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, we I am not a tech person. You are the tech person. Um, Steve loves technology. I hate it. I'm as analog as they come. Um like the way, the way that I study, when I take notes, I rewrite my notes, um, and that's how I study for tests and stuff. Um, but you're all about technology and gadgets. And I I love doing this kind of stuff. I I mean I love yeah. the show, but um, even a lot of the time, I finally came around and started taking notes in Google Docs instead of in a notepad. Um, if, but if it, it I took get a minute. if I get sick and get the COVID or can't do it. The, the show show's over. Off. No, yeah, we're because, done. Because Kim can't. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I don't even know if she knows where the button is to turn the board on. I, I probably don't, honestly. So yeah. Steve is the producer. I make no pretense of that. Um, so if Steve dies, we're done. Sorry. Yeah, well, let's End hope. of show. Yeah. So travel. We do like to travel. We do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of all the places we've been, what has been your favorite place to go? Um... Okay, so that's kind of a loaded. Well, let me let me let me get clarification on this. What was my favorite trip, or what was my favorite place to go? Because those are two different answers. Well, favorite trip. Favorite trip, hands down, was our honeymoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> our so our honeymoon was not uh, kind of the standard honeymoon. We we got married. Um, we've been we've been married twice. We got legally married July first, two thousand four, um, and then we had a wedding on October second, two thousand four. But after the July first, Steve was on terminal leave from the army. He had just separated, just retired. Um, back then, I was still in school to get my teaching degree. I think, um, and so uh, 
we, you know, we had the summer off. Um, and so I, we decided to take, we had a camper, tow behind camper and a big truck. So we decided to take the younger two kids and one of Sarah's best friends on a three week cross country driving vacation that kind of was also our honeymoon. So we got a national parks pass and we camped for free in all the national parks. Um, and it was just a three week road trip. And I was the, it really was the vacation of a lifetime, um, just some of the things that we saw and the things that we experienced, we still um, joke about some of the things that happened on that trip. And it was just, it was, it was a chance to see so much of America. Um, it was, I, it, I will never take another trip like that. I really, I don't believe it that we'll ever take a trip. Yeah, it like was that one. Yellowstone. Sequoia National Park. Um, we Grand ne- Canyon. I lost yeah. my wallet in the Grand Canyon, and someone found it and turned it in with $257 still in it. Um, didn't take any of my money, which was awesome. We ended up accidentally, and people, I say that, but no, it really was seriously accidentally at Sturgis during bike week. <laughs> we, we were trying to get to Mount Rushmore, and we just didn't, like we weren't trying to plan or anything. It was just happened to coincide with our trip. Um, and so we ended up at Mount Rushmore, which is Sturgis, South Dakota, at during Bike Week, um, and just different things that you just just really amazing, beautiful things, and just funny things that kind of happen. Um, one of the Sarah's friend Lauren that we took on the trip was um, she she was just so sweet, and so um, she was just a very naive middle school little girl. Um, and just would say things that just cracked us up all the whole trip. Um, it was just, it really was fun. Okay. What so, about you? What well, was no, your favorite let's, trip? Let's finish with you. That was favorite trip, favorite place. Keweenaw Peninsula. Okay. No question. I loved it up there too. Um, I, which is amazing because we've been literally upper, all over the world penins- together. Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yeah, we've literally been all over the world together. We've been to Bavaria. We've been to, um, you know, uh, all different parts of Germany. We've been to um, Spain. We've been to Austria. We've been to Switzerland. We've we've literally been all over the world. And I think my favorite place to vacation is the Keweenaw Peninsula in Michigan. I liked it up there. It was beautiful. Now, it's we we get to travel free, so it's, it's yeah, not yeah, like we're, no, it's not we're like not we're, jet setters. Don't yeah, don't no, think that. No. no. So when we go to Europe, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on the back, it's in the back end of a cargo. Plane. Let's backtrack on this one. Yeah. So because Steve is retired military, and because we live right outside an Air Force base, essentially, um, we any place that the Air Force flies, if you are a retiree from the military, you get privileges and you get to fly. They call it space A, space available, on a cargo plane. So the very first time that we ever flew to Germany as a married couple, um, we ended up, we made it as far as Dover, Delaware, and then it was blazing hot summer. And, you know, we had seats that were all the way, we were supposed to fly all the way to Rota, or not Rota, to Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. Um, And then from there, we were going to get a train or whatever and go visit friends. Um, but we made it to Delaware, and they bumped us for a pallet of ketchup. Yeah. So if you travel space available, you you have to have a sense of adventure. Yeah, and it's yeah because it's you cargo, are not the priority. Cargo is the priority, right? Space A passengers it's aren't space available. But if, you know if what? There's room for you; they'll take you. If not, the United bad. States Air Force is probably my favorite airline. Um, yeah, I think somebody told me the other day that the price has gone up. Um, it is now. 
uh, $18 for a ticket to fly international, and it is $15 to fly domestic. No, it's free. It's free to fly. It depends if you Maybe land, it's the box lunch. It, it's the lunch. Or if you land like in Baltimore, you have to pay like an airport tax to land. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody was telling me the other day who was just getting ready to separate from the Air Force that was, um, he was saying, you know, it's $18 to fly overseas and it's $15 to fly domestic. Um, so I don't, I don't know where he was getting well, that. Well, right now because of COVID, from, but, I don't think anybody's flying Space 8 right now. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't, don't think so. There's a stop because there's a stop stop what did they call it stop movement or something yeah. on that so yeah but anyway um so yeah when we say that we've traveled the world don't don't think that we're like flying on luxury jets yeah, like- i mean we did once we flew so um there was one time that we went to go visit <laughs> this is how international we really are um we have friends neil and lisa who live in australia now um they're from australia and Neil was stationed at the Australian Embassy in Washington D.C. Yeah, he worked at the Defense Mapping. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, they were living in D.C. And we flew. Uh, no, we drove. We drove out to go see them for the Fourth of July one year, and we had some um, like folding lawn chairs that we accidentally left at their house, and it was cheaper for us to fly out, space available, go pick them up and come home than it was to ship them back. So we caught a caught a flight on a Learjet with it was like a general's private jet or something that um you know we flew with the general over to Washington DC we spent the night we got our chairs and we came home the next day. So yeah. sometimes we are jet setters but not in the way that most people think. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of fun but it's a lot of adventure but you know what we have been disappointed where we've gotten into the airport and as crazy as this sounds, when we get a flight out right away, it's like, ah. because yeah, we have met, met so many interesting people. Do you want to tell them about Robert? Uh, yeah. Robert was really interesting. Okay, so we we flew back from Germany, and the flight got diverted. It was supposed to come into Dover or someplace like that, but at the last second, the flight got diverted from Dover out to... Um, Lewis McCord out in uh, the state of Washington. But we needed to get home because I was running out of vacation time. And we, you know, if we get back in the United States, we could rent a car, we could, yeah. we could buy an airplane ticket, we could get back. So we said, we'll take it. Where most of the people had gotten off the airplane, they were wanting to wait for another flight, which all the box lunches had already been <laughs> packed. So we we took off. Mind you, the box lunches. You say box lunch, you're like, all right, but no, the box lunches that they provide you are actually really good. You get like a like a king size pack of M and M's. You get a big <laughs> a big bag of chips. You get a bottle of water. You get a soda, and you get a sandwich. They're big lunches and cookies. a pickle and, and cookies. cookies. Oh, yeah. and cookies and a pickle spear. Yeah, and so we 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 took off and we landed in Gander. Gander Canada. Yep. Gander Canada. And they let us off the airplane and we walked into the terminal and they had in the term it's a very, very small terminal and very hometownish. Mm-hmm. And they had some homemade like vegetable stew mm-hmm. or vegetable soup. And so good. After flying to the back of the airplane, it was chilly. We got out and they said, Would you all like some soup? You know, some soup? And we said, Yeah. That absolutely just hit the spot. That was probably the best vegetable soup I've ever had in my life. That is one thing about travel, especially international travel. 
the food that you get, like you would expect it to be, um, you know, you get authentic German cuisine or whatever, but you know, the most, the best quote unquote meal that I've ever had in my entire life was a hot buttered pretzel on the train from Munich. Yeah, that was good. And it's just, that's the thing you we get so, yeah, you, when you get so travel weary that even just a hot buttered pretzel is like gourmet, it's it's like that gourmet stuff. Well, let's tell this story about Robert. Yeah, go ahead. So we landed in Gander and then we flew on to uh, McCord Air Force Base, Lewis McCord in, uh, in Washington. Got out and it was late. Got a taxi cab to the King Oscar Motel, and if you're from that area, you'll know, you'll know what the, you know. You'll know about the King Oscar. Mm-hmm. And next morning, we got up really, really early. Went to like three o'clock in the morning. Went to Denny's. Cab picked us up, took us back out, and um, eventually they got they got us on the airplane. They were able to put down. We were one passenger more, and when they asked how many bags we had, they said, "You know what." This the C seventeen can handle that you know that, that extra twenty pounds of bag, so they put down an extra row of seats so we could get on the airplane. But while we're sitting there in the terminal, just talking and having a good time, we ran into a guy named Robert, and Robert said, "I'm twenty. What was I'm twenty? Like twenty four. I'm like I'm twenty two. I'm twenty four years old. He clearly was not. He was looked like he was mid sixties. Yeah. And he, he said, I said, Robert, no, he goes, I can prove it. He carried his birth certificate with him. <laughs> so to make a long story short with Robert, Robert had been on the operating table and he died and was pronounced dead. He had a death certificate. He was dead. They, they wrote a death certificate for him. They took him down to the morgue in the hospital, Purdue, you know, wrote the death certificate and a while later, a nurse or someone was down in there, and they heard Robert <gasps> gasp, and they took him out. They revived him. Well, apparently, if a death certificate is a is a controlled document, and you can't just rip it up, so they had to issue Robert a new birth certificate. So Robert <laughs> was 22, 24 years old, and to top it off, <laughs> his life insurance paid because apparently the life insurance pays off a death certificate. Yeah. So he was basically living in the airports, traveling the world, off and living off his uh, his insurance. But the catch to that is that he only got life insurance once. Well, he didn't need it after that. He didn't. So like when he was, I guess, reborn, um, when he came back to life, he couldn't get another life insurance policy, even though he had a new birth certificate. Like he was alive, he was a lot, you know. But um, they said no, nobody, nobody would issue him any life insurance after that. So, so this is the type of thing that we run into, and that's yeah. a typical of Stephen Kim. Yeah, we 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 used to kind of nickname our, uh, you know, there was the Chimps and Pimps tour. Um, we used to kind of nickname our our uh, vacations. There was one vacation, just because crazy things would happen. We saw a dog with its tail duct taped on in West Virginia once. And- Not lying. As soon as we crossed over <laughs> into Virginia, there was a dog at the rest stop that had duct tape wrapped around his tail. Now, we told the kids, you know, they duct taped the dog's tail. Uh, we don't know what the story was. It was probably, it was probably stop, was just but- a cut, but... Um, yeah, and the, you know, we we were in Florida one time, and there was a lady that um, got really offended because the people at uh, the seafood restaurant 
I mean, she had a chimpanzee with her. National chain had a chimp in a diaper and dressed up in like baby clothes, and they asked her to leave, and she got really offended. No, no. Remember what happened? People were walking by, and it's not every day you see a chimpanzee <laughs> in the restaurant. Yeah. And people were looking, and this lady got really, really Is that offended. What it was? I knew that yeah. there was somebody offended somewhere. She was offended because <laughs> she didn't want monkey. people to look at her chimpanzee. And that same trip, we we saw someone that was like a. I mean, he was very clearly a pimp, like dressed exactly how you would expect. Like purple this was velvet. in a hotel just outside of was it Nashville or Montgomery or someplace, something like that. Yeah. And it was exactly what you would expect. But like he had the cane and the hat with the feather and the purple velvet and the whole nine yards, and the girl in the booty shorts and the halter top with him. And yeah, though I mean, they, there was no question that what was going on. Um, in the lobby of the hotel. Yeah. Same trip. Some so interesting it was our times. Chimps and pimps tour. Yeah. Kim, How are we doing on time? Are we you out know of what? time? I, I have we bored them enough yet? Yeah, we've we've bored everybody enough, and we I, I think we're going to be a little bit over an hour. So oh my gosh! I, I you know right. we 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 wanted this episode to kind of learn a little bit about Steve and Kim, and maybe you did, but um, so next episode, um, you know, it's our one like we said, it's our one year anniversary. Um, so we'll, we'll, we haven't yet decided what we're going to make, but it'll be something special. I hope it will. I have an idea, but. We'll talk about it. We'll uh, see what it is. So hopefully we didn't bore you. Hopefully you're still listening to us. And, um, we do, we do appreciate everyone that listens because we get, we get emails or we get messages and we've been getting all a lot the time. more lately a which lot. is awesome yep. we love it so when you write to us at a lost hour at gmail.com you can also write to us through the podbean app or through you know whatever app you're listening to us on leave us a message on facebook yep um twitter uh instagram all of those things um you can find us at either a lost hour or an hour of your life uh, we love getting mail from you guys and we love hearing um what you have to think so uh, hopefully we didn't bore you too much. If you did, if this is your first episode with us, this is not a normal episode. Go back and start go on episode one. Go back and listen to like the good stuff. Actually, I don't even know if you need to go back to episode one. Go back to episode like 15. No, go back to episode one. <laughs> and then, uh, so give us a listen. So, so thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, so from ours, yeah, like I said, hope we didn't bore you. And if there's anything else you want to know, feel free to ask. Yeah. We'll, we'll let get, you know. Get a hold of us. So, yeah, absolutely. From our studios here in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources for this week are Steve, us, Steve, and Kim. Good night. Good night.